Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, take them. Don't open them yet, but take them because we're continuing our study in Christians Unleashed. If you are with us for the first time, we're glad you're here, and uh, we, uh, but we want you to know we just started a series, and I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of that in a minute. But we're in a series at the beginning of the new ministry year. I always like when we, uh, we, get, we, we start a new ministry year to come back to the core foundational principles of who we are as a church. So it's a, in a sense, it's a little bit of family business as we're coming back to who we are and why we do what we do and the way we do it and uh, going back to, to some of the basics. And I don't know about you, but I need to be refocused. Uh, because God has given me the temperament of distraction. Uh, some of you know, who, you're like that. You, you, you see what somebody else is doing and you say, I'd like to go do that too. Somebody tells you about a new book you, and you've you're, you got four books going right now. You're reading four books. You say, I'd like to read that too. So you run out and buy it. And uh, you have the temperament of distraction. And, and, and I find it enormously comforting and motivating as the pastor of this church, to come back at the beginning of the year every day, but at the beginning of the year, and remember that God didn't put us here by chance. Chance. God didn't put us here by chance. What is chance anyway? Chance is, have you ever seen chance? I don't know what it is. I've never seen it. You can't taste it. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. There's no such thing as chance. Chance is a philosophical idea that people have given to things you can't explain. But I'll tell you this, we're not here by chance. God has put us here in this community at this time to make a difference. And I love that. And in fact, I love what John Maxwell said. He said, I am committed to making a difference with people who make a difference, doing something that makes a difference at a time that makes a difference. And I don't know if I can say that again, but I, I, I like that. I like making a difference with people who want to make a difference. And you're that kind of people. And, uh, and yet we've got to remember who we are and where we're going. And so that's what we do at the beginning of the year, uh, the ministry year. And, uh, um, and so, yeah, if you're with us for the first time and you say, what are you guys talking about? It's kind of family stuff. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Um, by the way, let me give you the Reader's Digest version of what we've been talking about. Because two weeks ago, we started talking in this series about Christians Unleashed, remembering that even though we feel like we're very, very ordinary people, we really, when we're at our best and following Jesus Christ, we're extraordinary people. We're out in front of the, the pack. We're, we're unleashed. We make a difference. And uh, and we do so because Jesus has given us a revolutionary motivation. And that revolutionary motivation is, is his love, his incredible, unconditional love for us. The most important thing about you is what is your motivation? What's going on at the deepest level of your life? You are, you are in large part, what you're motivated to do. And we said that the early church got it. They understood that they were people who were unconditionally loved by the God of the universe, that Jesus Christ had come into this world, had gone to the cross, not because they were good, but because they're bad. He loved them, not because of what they'd done, but he loved them in spite of all that. And so when we get it deep in our hearts that we are loved not for what we do for 
God, but for what Jesus has done for us, then we will, we will be loved and we will love out of, out of response. And there is no more powerful motivator than love. Uh, bottom line, how does this work out? God's not angry at you. And I'm glad you're here, but, but you don't have to come and do penance here on Sunday morning. He loves you because of what Christ has done. He can't love you any more than he loves you already. And that is the most incredible motivator at all. Then in the second week, we saw uh, the, the, the revolutionary perspective of life. Does anybody remember what that we said last week? This will test how good I got it or didn't get it through. Uh, the revolutionary perspective is that God owns everything and God's people are his property managers. And so we said that that is an incredible perspective that when you get that, it'll set you free. One lady visited uh, with us last week for the first time and, and she came to this understanding that if she would just give her time, treasures, and talents to God, she'd be set free. She said she did and she'd been able to let something go that had been hanging on for five years. I don't know what it was but she was set free. That's the way it is. Well, today we want to talk about revolutionary generosity, which kind of flows from all of that. When you understand this, this mega principle that you are loved, when that flows into your life, into the perspective that God doesn't mess up and do things wrong, so he loves you, and as a result of that, in a loving way, he tells you that everything is his, our time, our treasures, and our talents. When you get that, you are set free, and we become generous people. A re and that's revolutionary. Apparently, the church was supposed to be generous. You maybe heard of the, the pastor who was preaching up in the South someplace, and he was talking about what we're talking about, the time, treasures, and talents. And, uh, and, and right when he was getting to that point of, you know, sticking the knife in and turning, and he leaned over to his wife and he said, now he's gone from preaching to meddling. <laughs> and Jesus is the divine meddler. It's really true. And I work for him. Jesus is a divine meddler and I work for him. And part of my job is to stir it up and to talk about personal areas that are not all that easy to talk about. And uh, you do that with your doctor. He talks about personal areas. He talks about personal things and he stirs it up and he says, you gotta change this, you gotta work. Well, Jesus, Jesus is doing that for us. And, uh, and, and yet what happens is that we move into this whole area of generosity. Now let's talk about that. Is this, is this world turned upside down? Are, is our country going in, in, I mean, is it in a time of absolute change and challenge and turmoil right now? Good night. It is. And I'm, I'm not talking about the fact that this past week, University of Southern California was beaten by Oregon State. I'm not talking about that. I'm not going to talk about that. And I'm not going to talk about the fact that the Gators lost by one point to Mississippi State. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about Auburn's difficulties this year. I'm not even going to go there or FSU. I don't want to talk about those kinds of things today. I love that church. I love that church in Arkansas. Had a sign out front on Saturday morning that said, football is only a game. Spiritual things are eternal. Nevertheless, beat Texas. <laughs> I love that. I love that stuff. But um, are we in turmoil or what right now? You wake up and something else has gone belly up. 
Another institution has flipped on its head. Friday morning I woke up, it was Washington Mutual, what's next? I don't know, I don't know. Uh, when, you, when you hear people starting to use the words 1929, when candidates leave the trail and go back to Washington, for whatever reason, political or no, you know things are in turmoil. Uh, how do you explain this to your kids? That great theologian, Jay Leno, suggested doing this. He said, get your kids around the table for dinner. And after dinner, sit them around and look at them in the eye and say, listen, the economy is bad. And because the economy is so bad, we're going to have to let one of you guys go. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm all over that. Listen, get their attention. But listen to me, I believe this. I believe, as I said, that there is no such thing as chance. And I believe that God is the sovereign king of heaven and earth. And I, therefore, I believe that when it comes to these economic difficulties and economic ripples, that God is not, he's not upset. He's not looking around going, oh my goodness, what's happening? This is a time, I believe, for God's people to reevaluate their own economic life and evaluate them in terms of discipleship. I also believe that it's time for churches and Christian ministries to be shaken. I, I believe that you need to know that our elders, deacons, our, our leaders are praying about all this because we believe that God is sovereign. Doesn't do anything uh, by chance. He doesn't squander any opportunity to get us to come back to the basis. This is a time where God is trying to reorder things along his His principles. Well, this is a time of economic turmoil. I've got some things I want to say about it, but Matt McDaniel is going to come up. Uh, many of you know Matt. He's going to share a little bit about what God is doing in his life as he seeks to manage God's stuff in times of turmoil. Thanks, Pete. Well, for the next uh, 60 minutes, I'll be sharing about... No, I'm just, just sharing my testimony. That's intimidating. Um, I'm just going to give a testimony here today. I basically had a dream job a few years back. I was, a, I was working in Miami as the editor of a travel magazine. I had a top floor window office. I had a nice view of downtown Miami. And uh, I made decent, decent money, and I loved what I did. And part of that job, I had to, for that job, I had to research articles. And, and for me, researching an article meant that I had to stay and visit and stay in upscale resorts in Hawaii and Puerto Rico and Sedona and, and places like that. And my other research included driving a, a NASCAR stock car around a racetrack and swimming in a tank with sharks, learning how to surf and snowboard, and uh, attending private parties and events uh, with the entertainment provided by classic rock bands and uh, speakers such as uh, Colin Powell and Ben Stein and comedians including Jon Stewart and Howie Mandel. And uh, I mean, it was a tough job, but somebody had to do it. <laughs> so. But in 2003, God called me out of that uh, and into full-time missionary work with Campus Crusade for Christ. And I... I left my nearly six-figure salary, I mean, five figures, that's nearly six, yeah. um, 
But I had to raise our entire salary through donations uh, from individuals. And our family of five went through a sudden and dramatic change of lifestyle. Not only did we take a $35,000 a year cut in pay, but it was a struggle to raise the funds as a missionary. And if we didn't raise the funds, we didn't get paid. Well, after five years of doing that, uh, we left the ministry. And as hard as it was to raise our support in, that, uh, in those circumstances, it's been even harder trying to make ends meet now as I try to build up my business, my freelance editorial business. And I spend several days a week now uh, working at Ligonier Ministries uh, in their call center as an hourly employee taking phone calls. And I'm just trying to, to keep the cash flow positive. But uh, all along, through all that trail, uh, we've been committed to tithing. And I had to realize long ago that it's all God's, as Pete was saying. And I had to realize that, that no matter who signs my paycheck, ultimately it's God who signs my paycheck. It comes from God. And I often think of, of a quote from the Bible that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And, and for me, that's illustrating that point. It's basically saying that, that all the world's riches belong to God. So that raises the question, so, so why do I tithe, especially given our circumstances uh, now, why do I tithe if it's all God's anyway? And I see at least three reasons. And the first one is that God commands it. The second one is it's a form of worship. And the third one is it's good for me. God knows what's best for me. He knows what matures me. He knows what causes me to grow. And he knows what ultimately sanctifies me. And the process of obeying God, that brings me closer to him. And I'm not talking about earning my salvation through specific deeds. I'm talking about growing in my faith by listening to and following my Father in heaven. Um, at times, we've struggled with our budget, my wife, Laurie, and I. And uh, I say at times, by at times, I mean every day, um, given our, our current situation. But uh, it's, it's a struggle. And we even struggle with trying to, to make a, a budget up and, and stick to it. Uh, we're actually attending the Crown Financial class. Um, but all along, we've kept our commitment to tithe and to give generously. And I just want to close by reading one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and it's uh, out of Malachi. I am God. Yes, I am. I haven't changed. And because I haven't changed, you, the descendants of Jacob, haven't been destroyed. You have a long history of ignoring my commands. You haven't done a thing I've told you. Return to me so I can return to you, says God of the angel armies. You ask, but how do we return? Begin by being honest. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask, how have we robbed you? The tithe and the offering, that's how. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring your full tithe to the temple treasury so there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. Thanks.
Oh, thanks for sharing that and being open and vulnerable with that. That's, Steve Brown said after the first service that you're going to get back to that six-figure salary pretty soon. If you gave $1,000 to us, he will multiply that. We're starting a new ministry, Steve and I. I just want you to know. But thank you so much for sharing that and, and, and your faithfulness to tithing in the midst of difficult times. These are difficult times. They're times of turmoil. And I, I, I talked with somebody before the first service who told me that they're radically reorienting their, their own business because of the issues that are going on. So many of you have had to, to make changes and there are challenges for all of us. And, and so what I want us to do is to take a look at this this revolutionary principle that only God, only God can make you do something like that. Only God can change your heart in this way. Let's talk about revolutionary generosity then briefly as we look into God's word, 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 15, and this is God's holy word. The apostle Paul says in her inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians telling them that since last year you and Achaia are ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangement for the generous gift you'd promised. Then it'll be ready for a, as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Great principle. That's true in all of life. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man, each Christian should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will, be, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you performed is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Did you notice the key word? The key word in this text is what? Generous. Boy, it's there everywhere. You see the word generous in verse 5 and then again in verse 6, generously, two times. Generous in verse 11 along with generosity in, in verse 13, what I said last week that I think is so powerful is that generosity seems to mark the Christian church. How did the impact of so little a band of people make a difference in the world? I'll tell you why. Because some of these people who were so poor gave of their time, their treasures, and their talents 
and they made a revolutionary impact in the world. And so I gave you this metaphor that I like so much of seeing our lives not as reservoirs, but as rivers. That our lives are not reservoirs to get and hoard and keep, but we are blessed so that we can bless other people. We are rivers uh, of God's blessing to other people. Now let's talk about generosity. Just two points real briefly. Uh, first of all, notice as this text applies to generosity of time and talents. As I was looking at this, I realized you can't, I wanted a nice, neat three-point sermon, right? Generosity, time, treasures, and talents, but it doesn't work. Because whenever you start talking about time, inevitably you think of your talents. You can't, you can't use your time without expressing your talents. You can't deal with your talents without spending time. So time and talents really go hand in hand. And, and so we're just going to look at that together and realize we're all gifted with the same amount. 24, 7, 365, we've all got the best We've all got the same. We're rich when it comes to time. Not all of us use our time wisely. You know who you are. Some of you are great time managers. When I meet with you, you're kind of going like this. You're getting your Blackberry. And I don't take that personally. I want you to know. I like people that manage their time well. So, so there it is. Um, you, you, you do a great job with that. Now, I want you to realize that when you look at the Bible, Time really falls into two categories. There is time with God, and there is time for God. And it's amazing how that works out. There, there is time, and we got to manage all that. There is time with God, and there's time for God. And what I mean by time with God is this. The time with God is at the beginning of the day. And the time with God is the time I go to get refocused. It's a time where I get into the Word some, and I read some, and I do some thinking, and listening, and interacting, and questioning, and communicating. I need time with God every day, with God every day. You say, you're paid to do that. I know. Isn't that cool? It's cool. I want you to know. It's a great job. But before I spend time in the Word where I got to be paid, I got to spend time in the Word as a son. I need, I need my Father. I need my Lord to say, hey, you're getting distracted. Come back over here. I need to listen. I need to think. I need to ask questions. I need to apply. I need to enjoy being God's prized son. Don't you need that time? You're not putting in time with God so you can get brownie points with God. You don't need to do that. You, but you need to remember that he loves you because you're going out into a world that is tough and you need to know it's not what you produce, it's whose you are. And I preach the gospel to myself every day. I love that story about the kids in a religious school, elementary school, and they were in the cafeteria and one of the religious ladies leading that lunch had put a sign at the beginning of the table. There was a big pile of apples there, and she had put a sign that, that said, take only one, God is watching, God is watching. Some kid at the end of the table where there was a big pile of cookies had written his own little note, take all you want, God's watching the apples. <laughs> I 
love that. Some some of you think that God is just looking for an opportunity to squash you like a bug. You think he's trying to make your life miserable. He isn't. What he wants you to get every day at the beginning of the day is his deep love for you. That's what time with God is. But you see, what happens is when you spend time with God, you are propelled out in time for God because that's where you use your talents. And you do that because you can't not do that. You have been transformed. We are in the process of being transformed from the inside out. Time with God always leads itself toward time out there with other people. Now, let me give you a truth that's very important. All of us have talent, inborn talents. All of us have inborn talents and born again gifts. All of us, if you're a Christian, you have inborn talents and born again gifts, spiritual gifts. That means some of, in the whole area where, where you're born, you are born with talents and some of you are just absolutely amazing. You're musical, you're analytical, you're physical, you're humorous, you're thinkers. You have, this is an enormously gifted congregation. You guys have so many talents. You're born with those talents. And, uh, and, and when you look back, you say, where did I get those talents? Some of you want to say, I got them from the ones who brought me into this world, my mom and dad. Eh, wrong. God gave them to you from the very beginning. Inborn talents. Now, let me give you another truth. You are, when you're born again, given spiritual gifts to advance the kingdom, to make a difference in this world. Look at Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians 12. Check those out. You've been given spiritual gifts to minister to. You are incredibly gifted people. Now, here's an important point to catch this. All talents and all gifts have a divine origin but they do not have in them a divine perfection. Did you hear me? All of your talents and gifts have a divine origin, but not a divine perfection. What I mean by that is that all of your talents and all of your gifts have to be developed. God says, my daughter, I've given you these talents. Now let's develop them. He says, I've given you spiritual gifts. Now I want you to develop them. And that's why we use our time using the gifts that God has given us and the talents uh, the, that he has given us to make a difference. And why in the world do we use our time and our talents for the glory of God? Catch this, impact and joy. We do it to make an impact in this world, to be the revolutionaries that God has called us to be. And because it is a joyful thing to use the talents that God has given us, isn't it? I, I got I to gotta give you an illustration of this, of a, a man I met this, this past year who is uh, one of those guys that is scarily gifted. I don't know if scarily is a word, but he's scarily gifted and he's tall, he's a businessman, he's got two PhDs, two in his spare time. It's a little intimidating to me. And he's also an artist. Chris Haller sitting over there uh, is an artist. And uh, his wife is too. Who's better, Chris? Yeah, I knew you would say that because you're a good guy. But you know, I, I, I have on my desk the, the Bronco Buster by Frederick Remington. And I've always been interested in bronzes. How do you do that? How do you make those things? 
Well, Chris does it. Look what he does. And, and, um, and so I, I asked him at the end of a long day, show me some of the stuff that you've done. And, and these are some of the things he made. Do you notice the themes that he picks? He's got incredible talent. And he's passionate about it. He's passionate about it. Is it okay to be passionate about what God give, gifted you to do? It's not only possible, it's not only okay, it's mandatory. He gives you talents to enjoy using, and he's generous in the time he commits to using these and who he loans them to and who he gives them to. Because it's great fun to make an impact with the talents that God has given you. Impact and joy. Spiritual gifts. In the first service, Gail and George Shave, you may know them, they have the spiritual gift of building relationships. I don't know how they do it. George is a retired mortgage guy. It's a good time to be retired in that area. And, uh, and he's been doing that for years and years and years, a crossing guard right now. This former executive is a crossing guard with his wife. And, and they, it's so cool, they know all the names of the kids that cross that street and a lot of their parents. And they're working out now how to get bicycles to kids who don't have bicycles because they know the kids who don't have bicycles and need bicycles because their home's a mess. They got the spiritual gift of giving and building relationships. Why do they do it? You know, they're always so sad when I see them. How's it going? It's great. Pete, this is who we met. Look what God is doing. Impact and joy. Generosity leads to impact and joy in the use of our talents as well as in the use of our time. So we got to manage that to the glory of God. And then, of course, there's generosity of treasures. And the baseline generosity is what Matt said. I'm not going to read that text again. He read it in Eugene's Peterson, Eugene Peterson, the, the message. But I know this is personal for many of you. And in the whole area of tithing, you say, stay away. You're meddling. I know. But why would anybody, why would anybody tithe? And why would anybody do that in a troubled economy when they're struggling to reorient their work? That's a God thing. Why would you do it? Why would I do it? Impact and joy. Because as we give, even in the area of our treasures, the generosity that overflows, overflows to transform lives. I, uh, okay, family talk. If you're not in our church uh, yet, you're just kicking the tires. Uh, you know, don't, don't get angry about this, but there's family talk here real quick. I got to tell you, my spiritual goal for our church family in the area of generosity in our treasures is that we would, that more of our partakers would move to partners and that more of our partners would move to tithers. That, that this is a time that we're, where God is disrupting the economy of, the, of our country, partly so that we can reorient our, this is a great time to reorient your finances. Some of you are saying it's horrible. No, it is. When you don't have much, it's a great time to start tithing. It's easier. 
But we need people in our, if our mission is going to go forward, frankly, we need to have more that are partaking of our ministry, become partners to whatever extent, and then to move eventually into the tithing category. This doesn't happen overnight, but, but it needs to happen over a period of time. Now, confession is good for the soul. And I need to tell you that we had a men's event two Wednesday nights here, and I confessed to the men of the church. I confessed a sin to the men of the church that over the years, it's been very difficult for me to talk about money, and I have not done it a lot. And that's partly why we're at where we're at. <laughs> uh, I could give you some reasons. In fact, everything inside of me wants to give you the 16 reasons why I haven't been I just don't need to do it because I took it to the Father and He said, okay, cool. All right. Now just tell Him what you need to tell Him. And it was easy as that. I didn't get any guilt laid on me. There it is. And I'm actually kind of excited about this. It's a new leaf for me. Even as you get as old as I am, you can still grow. Aren't you glad I didn't confess some other sin? But that's what we need to do. We need to move ahead, and that's what I'm praying about. And our leaders have decided that we are simply not going to make a budget for next year without hearing from you what you, by God's grace uh, and stepping out in faith, feel you can give. So we're going to put a card in the program next week, soon, and, and, uh, and we're going to ask you to pray about all of that so we can build a church budget based on what you, by God's grace, feel you're going to, going to give. It's a good principle, isn't it? I think it is. And so my challenge, as and ladies, you need to know this. At that men's event two Wednesday nights ago, I challenged your husbands to talk to you about these financial issues. That talk about them in the home. If you're ticked at them because they brought it up, blame me. It's my fault. But I've asked them to bubble up these issues, particularly about moving from partakers to partners and from partners to tithers, and, 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 and move ahead and, and, and talk about these verses. Pray about them. Don't tell your kids you got somebody you got to let go, but talk about the challenges and then take a risk. I encourage you to begin to incrementalize up toward this. By God's grace, He can do it. Why? Impact and joy are making a difference. Generosity unleashed, what does it look like? Quickly, regular, it looks like regular giving, it looks like purposeful, intentional giving, but it's joy, it's joy. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each man should give what he's decided in his heart, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I don't know who gives what, and I'm not gonna treat you any different. I don't know, but you know, and you know our needs, and you see the mission. I want you to experience the joy and the impact. Pray about those things. There's a great story I read this past week about the time during, during the, uh, before the Berlin Wall came down. And many of you, many of us were raised with that. I mean, it was, it was up when we were babies and it was up all our life. And, it, you know, there was, there was quite some interchanges that went back and forth on the other side of the wall. Uh, one time, a bunch of young East Berliners got a little bit ticked off uh, and, and they were in a, soused up, angry mood, and so they put together a big basket of trash and garbage and waste, 
human and otherwise, and I'm not even gonna go into any more detail than that, and they threw it over, over the, the wall and it landed into some of the nicely manicured, neatly cared lawns of West Berliners. And the West Berliners were just ticked off. I mean, their lawns were messed up. There's all kinds of gross stuff all over the place. So they called them a community meeting and they decided what they were gonna do. And so what they did is along the wall, they put over some nice clean baskets with fruit and um, with vegetables and some food and some clothes, some really nice stuff. And they put it over the side gently and left a note that said, you can only give what you have. <laughs> you can only give what you have. You guys are some of the most talented people I know. And we have a lot to give. It's a time of reordering our lives in terms of our time, our treasures, and our talents. And some of you are giving beyond already. Thank you. For some of us, it's a step of faith. Let's take it. Let's do it for the impact and for the joy. And take it to heart. Thanks for listening. And for more great audio, just click the audio button in the main menu of the app. That will connect you with the latest episodes of Key Life, Steve Brown, etc. And you think about that. <laughs>